So we're talking about stealing tonight. And this is, this is one of the commandments I actually have lots of stories about. <laughs> I don't know if you know this or not, but I used to steal things all the time. <laughs> I did. I think my, um, my career started off, my, when, well, before I, before I tell you how I used to steal things, it was always connected, it seems, to things that I collected. I always collected things. I was just talking to Cooper, my little six-year-old, the other day about hobbies and collecting things. And one of the things I collected that was really huge um, when I was in middle school, way back when, you never see this like talked about in any like movies about the 70s, but beer can collecting was huge. It was, it was a huge hobby. It, it was like this craze that swept the nation. I had a thousand different kinds of beer cans on my walls, right, on these special shelves that my dad made for me. Empty beer cans. I never have liked the taste of beer. I've never wanted to spend my money on that. Um, I, I would much rather buy imported German chocolate. Um, it's just kind of, kind of my thing. But anyway, beer cans, I, I remember once, I, so this is when I was in middle school, lived next door to a kid named Michael, and he had some beer cans, and he had one beer can that I really wanted to have. And because I was in middle school and I was stupid, and the kid who lived on the other side of, of him kind of encouraged me, we actually broke into Michael's house while his parents were gone. We broke in through the window, I held Stacy in as he, he reached in. You know, I held his feet so I could pull him back out again. And he stole this beer can right off of Michael's shelf, and he gave it to me. And I put it on my shelf with all my other beer cans. And of course, you know, we knocked stuff off his dresser. So as soon as he got home, obviously he saw something's, ha something's up and suspected right away who it was. Came over to my house and said, Kevin, now that's an interesting beer can. When did you get that? I said, oh, you know, I just got it. I just had it. And he picked it up, and he turned it over and had his name written in magic marker on the bottom of it. And I was busted. But, you know, we kept doing it. We kept breaking into houses. And all seriousness, now mostly they were houses that were, like, people didn't live in them because you didn't really find beer cans laying around in houses that people lived in. But we'd roam through the woods and find houses, and if it said no trespassing, we didn't care. We'd break in and look around for beer cans. We used to do this sort of thing all the time. Now, I'm not sure if everybody else has a story like that. I don't know if you've ever been involved in breaking and entering. I actually had the police come to my house one time, but it was actually for something I didn't do. I probably would have done it if I thought about it, but I didn't uh, think about it. Um, but, I, you know, so, so I come to this commandment, you know, whereas I can say, yeah, no, no doubt, I've done a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, stealing stuff from people, shoplifting a little bit, but more, mostly breaking it <laughs> into house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sorry. Well, here's the fascinating thing, right? Is that, I, you know, there was a, a poll that George Barner did not too long ago um, where 90% of people who identified themselves as born-again Christians said they had never or would never break the Eighth Commandment. Thou shalt not steal. Which goes to show that unless they all have stories like mine, um, they just don't think that they've broken this commandment. Yet, you know, really the heart of this commandment is about, is about stewardship with what we've been given. It's about trusting God's providence and God's provision. It really gets down to, like all the other commandments, do we really trust God to be God? And I think if we start to explore this commandment, we're going to find that 
that, good night, everybody breaks this commandment all the time. Every time you break any commandment, you actually rob God of the rightful obedience that is his by virtue of the fact that he is the creator and the redeemer. It's absolutely ludicrous to think that we don't break this commandment all the time. But I have good news for you. Jesus died for, for stealing. Jesus died for people that rob God of his glory and continue to do it even though they know better. So let's pray together and then dig into to this commandment some more. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that we can come to you and know that there is no sin that will be exposed or revealed that will ever surprise you. And if, you're, if, if we're in Christ, Lord, there is no sin either committed before tonight or after tonight that will ever separate us from your love. Because your opinion of your people is based upon what Jesus did, living and dying in their place. And so I pray, Lord, that we would have courage to take an honest look at the ways we rob and steal and fail to be good stewards of the things you've given us. Not so that we'd walk out of here feeling beat up, but so that we'd walk out of here with a longing and desire to be who you made us to be as individuals and as a community. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The heart of the matter of this commandment is we're not to steal or to take other people's goods. But, you know, even beyond that, and all of the, all of the older commentators and people that have sought to understand and explain this commandment, all of them say also contained within this or underneath this commandment is the idea that we are to do good to all those who are without. So this is the commandment where all the instructions and injunctions about social justice and mercy for the poor, all of that stuff fits under this as well. This commandment is concerned with the human community having and using the gifts that God has given and not taking those in an unlawful way without warrant. Um, it's interesting to note, you know, there have been some people who have tried to argue that the Bible promotes sort of a communistic, everybody owns everything together, or nobody really owns anything in particular kind of idea. Even in the very commandment here, thou shalt not steal, presupposes that there are things that belong to people that you can steal. The Bible doesn't support the idea of communism. I had a friend of mine recently say, well, you know, in the early church, it really was communism. It wasn't at all. Um, there was a peer, there's a story in Acts chapter 5 where Ananias and Sapphira, you may know this story, sell a piece of property, and then when they say that they're giving all of the money to the church, they lie. They really kept some. And the point of that story is not that they should have given everything they had to the church, which is how some of the cults use that passage. Um, but the, the, the point of that passage is don't be a hypocrite. Don't lie. They, of their own free will, sold that property and then tried to make it out to be more of a sacrifice than it really was. And God said to them, Peter said to them, you've not just lied to men, but to the Holy Spirit, and they were struck dead. It's a big deal, lying, but that's not our commandment tonight. Um, that's tomorrow, or next week, I guess, about bearing false witness and what does that mean. But this here tonight is about stealing. And I like this, the Heidelberg Catechism, which was written back in the 1500s in Heidelberg, Germany, makes sense, says this about kind of the positives, which I, I thought was helpful to think about. 
thinking how big the scope of this commandment is. The Heidelberg Catechism says this, this command requires that I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may and deal with him or her as I desire to be dealt with by others. So the golden rule is encompassed under this. Further also that I faithfully labor so that I may be able to relieve the needy. I don't know if you thought about that when you thought about thou shalt not steal. How does that connect to working so that I can relieve the needy? But actually the Bible draws that connection quite a lot. The Bible draws a lot, the connection between um, not working or being lazy and then being tempted or forced to steal. And so Paul actually makes that connection. The Heidelberg Catechism is drawing on this passage. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, Paul says this, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. And in Paul's words here, you see, this is not just a negative commandment. That while it says you mustn't steal, it also requires you to live a life of responsibility and work so that you can be a contributing part of the human community, helping those who are in need. So all of that is encompassed within this commandment. And I think this helps us. I think as, you, you know, as we go through the Ten Commandments, you know, one of the things I want you to understand is the Ten Commandments help you understand why you feel the way you feel. Because the Ten Commandments are a reflection of what God made human beings for. And so if you feel a desire to share with those who are in need, of course you should. Because God created you to live out, not only thou shalt not steal, but give and help those who are in need. And work hard so that you're able to do that. And so that you don't become a burden on others, is another thing that Paul says in regard to this. So, you know, when you look at this commandment and say, yeah, it seems that there's real injustice in the distribution of, of resources in our world, this commandment says, yeah. And a lot of that is because of human sin and how it's twisted what God intended for his world. So we're going to talk about a commandment that I think really makes a lot of sense. Even if it wasn't in the Bible, I think we would sense this because God has written this stuff on our hearts. Now, what is, what is the heart of the matter? The heart of the matter is this. Stealing, all stealing, is ultimately a sin against God, against his providence. Providence is a, sort of the way God controls and rules the world. It's his, his care and his control of the world. The stealing is ultimately a sin against God, against his providence, saying, God, I don't, I don't like your providence, I don't think it's right, and therefore I'm going to change it rather than accept it. It's stealing is it's sinning against God's providence and against his provision. Not only his provision for you, but even his provisions for others when you take the provision that he has designed for other people. Okay? Now, there's a passage that I think is helpful in bringing this out. It's in the book of Acts, and I put it on the little outline for you here. In chapter 17, this is Paul speaking actually not to Christians, not to people who even had a Jewish background, but to Greeks. And he says this in his sermon to them. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far 
from each of us. In other words, this is a kindness of God, that he has ordered his world in such a way and that he has given gifts to all people, life and breath and everything else. And so Paul, you see, is drawing upon the wisdom of this commandment, even in talking to people who don't believe the Bible, who don't understand uh, anything about the Jewish tradition. And, and he says this, that God is the one who gives all men life and breath. When we steal, we are fighting against what God has given. We're putting ourselves into conflict with the maker, the creator of the universe. Of course it's going gonna, it's gonna to mess up our lives. And, you know, he, we're also fighting against God's providential ordering of his world by saying to ourselves, we know better. We know better. We can do better. We steal from God as well when we waste the gifts that he's given us. When we waste the gifts that he's given us. Or we claim them as our own to use for ourselves, for our own enjoyment, for our own little kingdom rather than seeing that everything has a role and is to be seen as a kingdom resource. But, you know, it shouldn't surprise us, I guess, to find ourselves falling short of this commandment. Because at the heart of, our, of all of what's going on in our hearts is we steal God's glory all the time. Every chance we get, we try to rob him of his glory, don't we? I mean, it's, it's so fascinating. When you start reading the Bible, you don't have to go very far before you find people saying things in the Bible about how the gospel is designed in such a way that it should lead to an end of human boasting. The gospel is designed in such a way that it should exclude human boasting. It comes up all over the place. I have listed a couple places for you here, but it's all over the place. And you have to say, huh, why does the, why does the Bible continually have to tell us that? Why does the Bible continually connect the dots between the gospel, that Jesus lived and died in the place of sinners, and that God saves you by grace alone when you were dead, he makes you alive by his mercy. Why does the Bible continually say that and then be sure to connect the dots and say, what this means is you have no room to boast? Well, the reason is because we're always wanting to boast. Because we're always wanting to take pride in things that have been given to us as gifts. Right? Think about it. I mean, we're proud of what our kids look like. This is really interesting to me. You know, it's one thing to be, you know, I, it's, it's silly, really, to be proud of your natural-born children and what they look like. But when you adopt a little girl who's just unbelievably beautiful and you didn't have anything to do with it because, you know, some people sat in a room in China and matched her with us and we got over there and here she is, right? So, so it's like, you, you know, even when people say, you know, oh, your children are beautiful, you just kind of catch yourself because you want to say thank you. And, and it's nice of them to say, but you, you, thank you is not really appropriate because it's not, it's not something I did. You should say praise God. But we don't. We say, yeah, well, we say, we say thank you. We, we're always, I mean, it's just a silly example, but I could, you know, we could go through all the kinds of examples, the ways that we feel like, you know, we should pat ourselves on the back for what we have. Um, Bart Simpson prays in, in one of the Simpsons episodes. I always love this. He says, as he sits down for, for grace, he says, Lord, we pay for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. <laughs> I think that's revealing. I think that's, I think that's so often in our hearts. Um, we're constantly trying to take credit for ourselves. fact is, we often think that we're better than God, more fair than God. You know it. 
more wise than him, more caring. How does this manifest itself? See, that's the heart of this issue. We don't really trust God's providence. We don't trust his provision. Therefore, we feel compelled to rob from him and from other people. And it manifests itself in all kinds of different ways. But I don't want us to just get caught on the manifestations and not understand the real heart issue. The real heart issue has to do with God. As I've said time and time again in this study of the Ten Commandments, all of your horizontal issues that you have with other people are really vertical issues. That's why the Ten Commandments, all these, all these back half of these commandments are, seem to relate just to kind of relationships with other people, but they're all related to God because all humans are created in his image and it's always connected to him. What are some of the manifestations of not trusting his providence, not trusting his provision, not thinking that he's good or fair or powerful and feeling like we need to take matters into our own hands? How does that manifest itself? Lots of different ways. Of course, the obvious sins like theft, shoplifting, identity theft, embezzlement, all those sorts of things are covered under this. But, and of course, you know, stealing from the government, cheating on your taxes, you're not supposed to do that stuff. And it doesn't matter if you think the government's stealing from you first. You're not to steal. You're not to, you're not to um, take income that isn't reported. You're not to hire people and not report the income and make it easy for them to sin in this way. Because again, this is not just a commandment that's about you. It's about you having a role in making your community a place that honors God more. Right? So you have a responsibility to not make it easy for people to steal. As well as a responsibility, of course, not to steal yourself. Of course, the government steals. It's not just people. The government steals all the time, taking things they have no right to. Ignoring private property rights. That's an issue that's come up more, more recently, right? The government steals when it wastes money needlessly. And it hacks us off, or it should, because it's, it's, it falls under the condemnation of this commandment. Now, the, the, the sad thing to me, when I started reading, about, reading some of these commentaries, how often folks like Calvin and Luther and people that lived back in their era in the 1500s, they preached against the government and against the princes and the kings and the way they stole all the time. I just don't hear very many modern preachers preaching about that. I think we often talk about this commandment and we just sort of turn our guns on the congregation. But listen, we live in a world where the rich and the powerful steal. And the Bible says it shouldn't be that way. We should pray against it. We should work against it. And it doesn't matter even if it's legal and they find legal loopholes and ways to do it. Morally, do they have a right to what they have, or have they taken it unjustly? It even goes so far, you know, uh, Christians actually, for, for most of Christian history, have regarded loaning money with interest as a violation of this commandment. The Jews actually don't, don't uh, you know, traditionally have not charged interest at all. It actually has something to do with, you know, kind of the way that they rose in power in Europe. I don't know if you know this. Yeah, so we've got some history majors, you know about this, that they would loan money to other Jews with no interest, but they could loan money to Goyim, you know, people who are outside of the Jewish community, for interest, right? Now, Calvin and some of the reformers argued that there was an appropriate place for charging interest, but it could never be exorbitant. It, there was an appropriate place for you getting a return on your money if you've risked your capital, but it could not fall into the category of usury, which was defined as exorbitant interest. And I don't think there's any doubt but that most Christians throughout church history would say that what credit cards charge is out of bounds. 
usury, exorbitant. And it doesn't matter that it's legal. See, the Bible says that absolute laissez-faire capitalism is not necessarily moral, just like it says absolute communism is not moral either. And a lot of times I think we get so concerned to sort of be true in honor of political philosophy or put ourselves in one camp or the other and it's sort of all in our minds because we just went through an election. But we have to think about these things really Christianly and biblically. And there, there is a place where God says, you actually are supposed to loan to the poor for no interest at all if there was in the community of faith. And there's a passage in Leviticus that talks about that. There's a passage in Deuteronomy that talks about that. So the Bible puts limits on that kind of thing. As a matter of fact, in the Middle, in the middle Ages and throughout the Puritan period and the Reformation, the, the, the pastors used to have long discussions about what was an appropriate profit to make. We don't even think about that anymore in our world. We think that, well, if you can make it, you're entitled to it. All I can say is we're out of step. We're out of step with what most Christians have thought. And I, I would have a hard time, I think, um, arguing against their points in this regard. So I throw that out there for you to think about. I, I think about history, you know, and the way Christians thought about things in the past. doesn't necessarily set down a law for us. But it should at least give us pause to say, if we think very differently about this now than most Christians have, it should at least give us pause to go back and say, are we really sure that we've got it right? I mean, it's like I told you when we talked about, about marriage. You know, the Puritans used to marry to fall in love. I doesn't mean that that's the way you should do it, but it should at least give you pause that, you know, falling in love and then getting married isn't the only way that can happen. And it's actually not the, the majority of ways that it's happened throughout history and throughout different cultures. All right. Um, what, where else do I say? Oh, we're not to take advantage of people and get the most profit we possibly can. Now, some of you may be like, oh, you know, he's a liberal. I, I don't think if you talk to me you would suspect that. Um, but I just want to say this. Just because something is a common business practice does not mean that it's moral or right. There are too many Christians who use the excuse that it's just business to justify taking advantage of people. And all I can say is I work in the Christian music business long enough to know this firsthand. It just used to drive me crazy when I worked at a recording studio, not run by Christians, that the only clients we made pay cash up front were several Christian companies. And I, it used to drive me nuts. I think it's better now. I hope it's better now. Um, in the early days when I worked with Belmont students, how many internships were really just using people for free? When the Bible clearly says the worker is worthy of his hire, worthy of his wage. And I would talk to, I talked to a few people and said, how, how do you justify the way you use interns and abuse interns? They said, well, we couldn't be in business if we, you know, didn't do this. And I said, well, the Bible doesn't say you should be in business. The Bible says you should pay the worker what he's worth. These things, just because they're accepted, just because you're willing to go through it and do it, doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. I just ask you to think about some of those things. Um, all sorts of manipulation and marketing are condemned by this commandment. Even Calvin, in his day, 400 years ago, 500 years ago, talked about this. Um, and I think it's a very pressing issue for a lot of y'all. A lot of y'all probably have great gifts to be able to market and merchandise, and we live in a world where there really are not many limits, morally, to what people feel they can do um, in advertising. There's some, but they're very, very few. Christians should think differently about that. They have to make moral use of the education that you're going to get here at Belmont. Just because you know how to do it doesn't mean you should do it. 
That is one of the most important principles to regain for our culture when we think about medical ethics, when we think about legal issues, when we think about moral issues, lots of different issues where that comes up. Calvin puts, put it this way, he says, let us remember that all those arts whereby we acquire the possessions and money of our neighbors, when such devices depart from sincere affection to a desire to cheat or in some manner to harm, are to be considered as thefts. He's saying that when you think about why you're in business, you should be thinking about it's to love my neighbor. If you go into business thinking that my goal and my calling is to make money, you've missed the point. The ultimate goal is to love your neighbor. So if you, you know, I've talked to people who are thinking about going into sales. I was like, well, do you feel that you can love your neighbor with this product? You probably shouldn't be selling it if you don't feel you're loving your neighbor. Do you feel like you can love your neighbor with this music that you're doing? or that you're participating in producing. You have to think about these sorts of things. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, that we can, that only, you know, these perfect little, you know, products that, I'm not saying you can only sell Bibles, and I'm not saying that you can only, you know, sell Christian records or, or something. You know I don't believe that. Um, but I am saying that we have to think about these things, and now is the time for you guys to be thinking about how this commandment will shape your calling and what you're going to do with your life. Uh, maybe more closer to home for the stage of life that you're in right now, plagiarism. Plagiarism is a violation of the command, thou shalt not steal. And so is making it easy for your work to be plagiarized. I, I did that one. Before I stole things, I, you know, I was a kid who was so, so unpopular that I would let, you know, kids, you know, steal my homework and copy it and, you know, cheat on me on tests and I'd make sure they could see my paper and I'd sit in such a way. It never made me popular. I kept thinking it would. It never did. But, but, you know, you're not allowed, you're not supposed to, you know, let people cheat from you either. Okay? You're not supposed to let it be easy for your neighbors to sin against you. Um, employees and employers violate this command in different ways. Employees sin when they don't work hard. And we have this idea, I think, too often that, you know, we just want to do what's the bare minimum. But the Bible commands you to work at what is put before you with all your might, as unto the Lord. But employers... Employers steal from employees when they ask them to do or make them, manipulate them into doing things that were not part of the deal, and it happens all the time. I think the same thing happens even in the relationship between uh, professors and students. You know, sometimes, you know, there's certain workload that the course is supposed to be about, but then you get into it, and it's way more than is appropriate. It's a violation of this commandment. Copyright violations, illegal downloading. Nobody wants to look up now, right? It's like, it's like saying masturbation. Everybody's just going to look down. <laughs> yeah, it is. Illegal downloading. Every, you know, guys, if you think that the laws are outmoded, outdated, fine. Work to change them. But until then, it's illegal. And remember, they were based on the principle. You know, these copyright laws didn't just come out of nowhere. They didn't just come out of greed. They came out of the principle that the worker is worthy of his hire. The biblical principle, right? Um, and I, I just wonder sometimes, you know, how often when we're debating whether we should or shouldn't, in all these kinds of issues, so often do we ever think of it at the level of, am I, how am I refusing to trust God's providence and God's provision? Do I really need this? I think I need this. I think I've got to have this. And at the end justifies the means, but it doesn't. We violate this command when we hoard things for ourselves. Now I'm preaching to myself. And we fail to practice generosity because we 
have a calling, you see, to care for all mankind. We are to enjoy, now this is tricky to talk about, we are to enjoy good things. The Bible says that. And we're to, to enjoy them without the constant aftertaste of guilt. A lot of people, you know, say that Christians should be people who basically don't care about anything in this world. And if you're really spiritual, that you just wouldn't care about anything. You just give away everything. I don't think that's true. I think that Christians are called to actually give wisely and to, and to give in such a way that the, the, the whole society will prosper. Because we're to give with a long-term focus, not just a short-term focus. We're to be about creating society that promotes human flourishing in the way we give and in the way we spend, in the way we work, right? And I think guilt tends to make us very short-sighted in the way we give. So, you know, you've got these two principles that, you know, you are to enjoy good things. The Bible says it's a doctrine of demons to teach people to abstain from certain foods and from marriage, which God created to be received with thanksgiving. The Christians in the Reformed tradition have always made a lot about this, that, that we don't look at this world as just passing away, as this titan the Titanic that we shouldn't bother even polishing the brass because it's on its way down. That's not the way we look at this world. God cares about this world, and his people should care about it, and God created a world to be enjoyed. He gave you taste buds. He didn't have to. Okay? He gave us a world of colors, and it wasn't just so you could defend yourself you know, from danger, like the evolutionary biologists may try to tell us. It's because God is a creative God. He's an artistic God, and he made you to resonate with that kind of stuff, with beauty and joy and all those kinds of things, right? But he also puts you in a world that's filled with need because of sin. And he's given you gifts that you can use to mitigate against that. Most of the time in the West, I think we're on the side of giving out of our excess rather than giving sacrificially as an expression of trust in God's provision. Wealth, you know, wealth is not condemned in the Bible. It's not condemned in the Bible. The love of wealth is condemned in the Bible. And that's an important distinction. And it's a hard one sometimes to know exactly, well, what do I do with the money that I have? I found this, um, a couple books I put down here that I think were, are really helpful. I like C.S. Lewis's advice here, though I don't live it, but I like it. Maybe I can aspire to this. Um, Lewis said this in Mere Christianity, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. I think that's worth thinking about. Part of the goal is, as well, you should know, of generosity is to fight the power that money seeks to control over us. And I found this quote by a guy, Arkan Hughes, I found helpful. He says this, listen to this, he says, every time I give, I declare that money does not control me. Perpetual generosity is a perpetual de-deification of money. In other words, money is always willing to claim to be a god. That's why Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon, one or the other. They're rival gods because just like God promises peace, hope, and security, so does money. It offers it. And it's very difficult, and it's a regular practice of Christians to give money and declare by giving their money that this is not my God. 
that I trust in God's provision. I don't trust in this. You have to practice stewardship of all that God has given us. Okay, well, gosh. Tell me some good news, Kevin. I will tell you some good news. I will tell you this, that if you live, if you live in constant violation of this commandment, it will make you impoverished. It, it, will, it will bring for you a life of self-concern and self-absorption that's not what you made for. It's not what you were made for, and it can't help but make you miserable. And it certainly will not promote freedom. Remember, God gave these commands to people who he just delivered out of slavery to help them know how are free people to live. And how are we going to stay free? He didn't want them to go back into idolatry and slavery. He said, live like this. This is what I made you for. Live in such a way that you're not feeling compelled to constantly steal from me or from anybody else. So what do we need to know to be set free to live like that? A couple things. There's a couple kind of doctrines that I think are, are really important as we wrestle with stealing. And, and the way it manifests itself in our lives. The first is that God's providence can be trusted. We sang about it. Uh, that, that first hymn we sang, His Love Can Never Fail, based on a, a great little saying of Martin Luther's. He said, I know not where he leads, but well do I know my guide. And I, I think a lot of us, you know, we're really afraid if we can't figure out exactly how things are going to turn out. You know, are you one of those people who, before you even call somebody on the phone, you kind of plan out what they might say and how you might respond? You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of, but I, you know, there's probably people here in this room that do that. Some of us may be like, what? I can't imagine doing that. I very much trust in my ability to improvise. I don't ever plan out anything, you know. <laughs> so that's not, a, that's not so great either. Um, but there's something about trusting God's providence, and it is trustworthy. Um, he ordains everything. And Christians receive everything from the hand of a wise and loving Father, even things that baffle us and make us question his love and his wisdom and his power. But as you examine your life for places where you're stealing or attempted to steal, I want you to ask this question. Do I believe in the providence of God? Do I believe in the character of God as he reveals himself in Scripture? And, and, and otherwise, you're never going to be able to submit to his law. Do not steal. If you don't believe that God cares for you and that God has given you what you need, even when you think you need something else or something more, you'll never be able to submit to this law. Because at the heart of this law is really this question, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And of course, that question is bound up with, do you know me? And one of the great tragedies is we try to trust God, I think, so often just as by sheer force of will, when we really don't know very much about him at all. We don't ever read our Bibles, and we wonder why we find it difficult to trust God. Well, it's because we don't really know very much about what he's like. So I encourage you, if you want to honor God in this area, really, it's almost counterintuitive. You don't just fight stealing by your willpower, it won't get you very far. What you need to do is go back and study your God and pray 
that what you learn about God will turn into knowledge of God, that those dots will be connected, that you'll be able to trust him more and love him more. Because it's the only key that you can find to throw off the shackles of this, of this slavery. And think about things like this. If our God, if your God, sent his only begotten son to die for you, then how can you remain suspicious of him? You should ask yourself those kinds of questions. If God sent Jesus to die in your place, why do you find it so difficult to trust him with getting dates? I mean, at one level, you have to look at that and say, that's ludicrous. And you should do that. You should look at that and say, that's ludicrous. Soul, that's ridiculous. God sent his only son to live and die in my place, and I find it difficult to trust that I have enough music? You know? Sometimes we just need a little kind of perspective. Knowing theology really can help. The more you know about who God is and what he's done and what he's like, the more it helps you to trust him. And the key to this, as all the commandments really, is to trust him. Trusting God's provision as well, because God's provision for you and for others must be respected. And we're going to get into this with coveting, but listen, whenever we steal, we are taking issue with how God has distributed things. And even if our intentions are good, and we envision ourselves as a, a modern-day Robin Hood, we still do not have the right to steal, to redistribute in the way that we think things should be redistributed. Stealing is never right. God has created a world in such a way that there's a connection between work and having food and money, and we have to be careful as well that we erect policies and the way we love people keeps those things connected. Because that's the world God made. It's the way he's connected things. Third point, what else do we need to know? We need to know that God's kingdom agenda must be followed. We do not have the freedom to do what we want with our stuff. It's not even really our stuff. The Bible talks about us not as owners but as stewards. As stewards. Even our bodies are not our own. The Bible says your body is not your own, but you've been bought with a price. We're called to evaluate everything we have in terms of God's kingdom and how this can be a resource for God's kingdom. Now, again, I, you need to understand God's kingdom is a very big concept. It's much bigger than just evangelism or Bible studies. So when I say that, I mean you need to look at your resource and say, I have this chocolate bar to enjoy and to glorify God through the enjoying of this because he's made a great world. He didn't have to create chocolate, but he did. And I thank him for it. Right? It's good. Yeah. He didn't have to make little babies smell so, so sweet. Right? He didn't have to make their skin so soft. You just want to snuggle, right, and cuddle with them. Yeah, but he did. So what I'm saying is, you, when you think about God's kingdom agenda, it means enjoying this creation that he's made and giving him glory for his creativity and his goodness. Not just living sort of a, a world-denying lifestyle that says, I'm just going to get rid of everything because then I'll be really holy. No, there's a balance there. His kingdom involves you giving generously, to the poor. It involves you giving sacrificially. It also involves you enjoying the good creation. And it's difficult to maintain that balance. Christians have tended to fall off on one side or the other. His kingdom is big. The work of his kingdom involves more than just saving souls. 
It means seeking to have his glory spread as far as the curse is found, as Isaac Watts sings in Joy to the World, that great Christmas hymn. All the great Christmas hymns, you know, you get into the later verses, and they're the best verses, and we never sing them. Um, that's one of those. Last, remember this. Remember this. Jesus died for thieves. You remember, Jesus was crucified where? Between who? Two thieves. And that was in fulfillment. That didn't just happen. That was actually a fulfillment of what God had promised way back in the book of Isaiah in chapter 53, where it said that he would be numbered with the malefactors. We sing that sometimes in that hymn, Who is this? Numbered with the malefactors. Malefactors, the sinners. But in particular, in particular, the sinners that Jesus was identified with and numbered with in his redemptive work, were thieves. And he promised one of them, today you will be with me in paradise. That's good news for thieves. It's good news to know that for people who rob God, who rob others, who rob him of his glory, that's not the final answer. God says, I will not let that be the end. But I will, I will send my grace. I will die. I will die to change thieves. I will die to convince thieves that they don't need to take matters into their own hands, that I can be trusted. It's so important that you know that Jesus died for thieves because, again, every sin, every sin is a stealing of God's glory and of his right to obedience. So if Jesus didn't die for, for thieves, we are without hope in the world. But he did. He died for murderers. He died for thieves. The gospel is that the judge of all has suffered death to set his prisoner free. Now, I don't know. That's hard to get your mind around because I don't know of any, of any world or any judge where that happens. But that's the reality. That's the reality that it is at the core of reality. It's the reason that we come and we sit under the word of God to be more in touch with reality. It's the reason we worship and we sing these hymns. Because we want to get more connected to the way the world works. And the world works very differently from the way it looks. The gospel changes everything. And it should change this. It should help us. It should help us to honor one another and to serve one another. If you think you're incredibly wealthy, if you know you're incredibly wealthy, makes it so much easier to give. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, you are a co-heir with Christ. How much do you inherit? How much does Jesus inherit? Everything. What if we gave like that? <laughs> what if we gave like we really believe that was true? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you Again, I, I, I get to the end of these messages and I say, thank you. I want stronger words. There's got to be a stronger way to say that. We are just, we're just blown away when we think about your love and your mercy. We're sobered when we think about all the ways in which we rob and steal. But Lord, we do not despair because your mercy is big enough for thieves. It's big enough for us. Lord, help us to run to you, to collapse upon your mercy, to depend upon your mercy, 
so that we could honor you by trusting your providence, trusting your provision, by giving what's not ours anyway for the spread of your kingdom. We ask, Lord, that you would work in us that which is pleasing to you. It's our only hope. We ask this in